Welcome on in to the GIE Media Podcast Network and a special episode on the annual Be Sure Campaign. I'm Matt Lowell, a managing editor with GIE Media, and I'm joined today by two great guests. Dr. Frank Wong is industry affairs lead with Bayer. Dr. Zach Riker is green solutions team specialist, also with Bayer. We'll be discussing stewardship best practices as part of the campaign throughout this growing season. Now, right now, right this moment, where I am along the Great Lakes, we still have snow on the ground. It snowed the last couple of nights, but it'll all melt today or tomorrow. And then spring, which I thought was here for good, will stay. This growing season, when that snow melts, and every growing season, the Growing Matters Coalition wants to remind applicators, golf course superintendents, and turf managers to follow best management practices when using neonic products to protect pollinators. I know Frank and Zach have plenty more great tips for you to remember this season. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. This is Zach. I uh, appreciate the invite. I'm, we still have, where I am right this minute, we still have winter out in Nebraska. Oh. But we've had a number, of, uh, a number of warm days, and I've actually, I have seen a few bees floating around already. Yeah. Hey, Matt, this is Frank. Thanks for having us on. Uh, I'm down here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, it, I think spring has sprung here. We're, we're rolling, getting ready to go. You're only about a month or two away from 100-degree days and sweating through khakis. Very different yeah. weather. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it happens quick. happens quick out here in Nebraska, too. We go from winter to dead, dead heat of the summer. This is the third year. The Growing Matters Coalition has put on the Be Sure campaign. What is new? What is different about this year's campaign, if anything? Matt, every year we get out there and make sure that folks know how to use products responsibly and ensure that we're out there protecting pollinators and other animals and the environment uh, through responsible use of the products. And I think this year is just like last year, except we're just bigger and uh, more out there as far as trying to get the message out to as many people as we can to use products responsibly. And, and Frank, as you guys know better than anybody, it's it's important to keep whatever the message is, to keep hitting people. You have new people coming into the industry, you have people leaving, you have people with short memories like you and I, and so uh, the more, the, you know, the more we can talk, the more we can, we can state the message, the better off we'll be. Yeah, well made point, Zach. <laughs> especially people with us, like us, with short memories. Who are you again? <laughs> well, if folks have already forgotten, Frank Wong, Zach Riker. Frank is uh, <laughs> Frank is industry affairs lead with Bayer. Zach Riker, Green Solutions Team Specialist, also with Bayer. Again, just in case memories are super short. If this podcast was an hour or two or three, we could dive into so many details. It would be like a proper seminar or a conference presentation, if people remember those. We can only go so deep, though, in half an hour. So what are some quick tips that applicators can follow as this growing season really ramps up? I'll take the lead with with this one, Matt. Uh, Again, this is Zach. The best thing is really your common sense. And I know it's nothing that we can put on pesticide labels or anything like that, but but common sense really rules, uh, you know, throughout your life. And so uh, common sense things don't apply, you know, in lawns or in turf settings, don't apply to flowering, uh, don't apply any, really any pesticides, to fly, especially insecticides, neonicotinoids, neonics, 
sorry, Frank, neonics to uh, flowering plants in lawns or turf settings, uh, which normally we wouldn't do anyway because most, most lawns don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of clover or dandelions, other types of weeds in there. Choose your products carefully. We'd rather, we'd rather use granular products that make their way down to the soil and don't even come into, into contact with bees or with, with flowers. <clears throat> Water-in applications to move them past the surface. Really, uh, really practical things that, that most of us are going to be doing anyway in order to uh, uh, maximize the efficacy of the insecticides that we're using. Yeah, for sure. Common sense uh, definitely rules a lot of the ways that we should be using these products. But, you know, I hate to say it, telling some or suggesting to somebody to read the label before applying is kind of sometimes taken like, you know, hey, why don't you read War and Peace while, uh, you know, running a marathon and, and, and drinking hot Coca-Cola, right? But but it's one of those things where the label is the law and most of the information that you really need to have to use a product properly is, is going to be there. And the really great thing about uh, pollinator protection and, and using neonicotinoids is, is generally, you know, if you see a bee surrounded by a red diamond, then maybe you should pay attention to what's going on with pollinator protection. So, so EPA has made it really easy to zone into those parts of the label where you should be looking at paying extra special attention to protecting pollinators. You know, now, now, the good thing, since we're talking a lot about turf uses, is that the overall risk for impacting pollinators uh, can be very low. Uh, a number of the, the products that you know you can use. Um, I'll, I'll throw the football over to, to somebody who knows more about day-to-day stuff than I do. But, but Zach, you kind of want to talk a little bit about proper use of uh, insecticide products and, and maybe why we're using them there. Yeah. So we'll use we'll stick stick mostly with lawns uh, and golf turf. Uh, probably the most common insect that we're going after is, is white grubs, and those uh, are. are feared because they'll damage your lawn, but more importantly, the skunks and raccoons and things like that will come in and dig it up. And so most people use uh, neonic uh, uh, imidacloprid for that. And as Frank said, that has clear caution on the label or clear cautionary statements on the label how to use it. And like I said before, we can use granular products. We can water in liquid products, certainly water in granular products also. And so that would be the most common one folks are using right now. And those really should be applied usually about midsummer, Fourth of July, depending on where you're at. Once you start seeing uh, the adult beetles fly, or you see Japanese beetles in rose bushes, or or linden trees, or something like that, that's when you make an application. Usually midsummer, uh, and then be sure to, to water that in. Not only will it make it more effective uh, to get it down where the the white grubs are, but also uh, it'll get get it past any uh, flowering weeds or other plants that that uh, the bees could come in contact with it. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. And I think if we use our common sense uh, muscle here, uh, is, is there such a thing, Zach, common sense muscle? <laughs> Some are bigger than others. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say what your biggest muscle is in your body, but your brain should be pretty big, so that would be the common sense muscle, Frank. Uh, you know, it's when you see uh, pollinators actively foraging on on blooming flowers, that's the you know highest risk type type period for for applications. And and the good thing is, if you're using a granular formulation of a neonicotinoid insecticide, you know whether it's impregnated on fertilizer or just on on just a uh, granule. Fortunately, those are, are are low risk. 
impact on pollinators. Uh, most of the work that came out of our good colleague's lab in the University of Kentucky, Dan Potter, um, who's, who's a, you know, just a uh, just fantastic entomologist there, really focused on looking at the impact of, of liquid foliar applications to turf um, during, during those times. And I think the takeaway there is that when you were applying liquids, you know, and you had foraging pollinators, that was like the highest risk uh, where you could do the most harm. But, you know, outside of that period, you know, whether you've controlled your flowering plants by mowing or, or pre-emergent herbicides, you know, kind of stuff like that in, in lawn, so you're flowering weeds and stuff, um, the overall risk there is, is very low as far as having pollinators not present when you're making that. And Zach already mentioned, you know, you can also add one more layer of safety just by watering in any liquid applications uh, into the ground to, to get the material off the turf. Because just like Zach mentioned, you're, you're really trying to get activity down into the thatch and the soil uh, to hit most of those problem pests like white grubs. I'd like to think that I have a pretty big common sense muscle, but a couple minutes ago, Frank, you had mentioned the red diamond on the label. First off, what does that red diamond represent? Because I can barely mow my lawn, much less keep it alive. I have patches that have been dead for years. And two, what else can folks find on the label that they should really be looking for? Thanks for bringing that. The The red diamond um, on pesticide labels is kind of just referred to informally as the EPA B-box. And EPA started putting additional labor requirements on neonicotinoid pesticides a few years ago. Um, and basically, it just highlights the environmental hazard of those uh, products and, and just makes sure that applicators know that there is a risk as far as using these materials and having an impact on, on pollinators. Now, you know, again, going back to the label, um, all the information that you need to make a pesticide application are there. You know, not only that, like, you know, um, uh, informational stuff like, you know, the environmental hazard of a material, um, but also, more importantly, like specific restrictions, you know, uh, use directions, you know, like where you can, cannot make an application. Also, you know, what the, the legal use rates are, so on and so forth. And, and you know, just a reminder, I don't want to get all serious and stuff, but, you know, if you, you do a label violation that, it, that you know, you... You know, you can get written up for that. So I, I really do want to uh, make sure that everybody knows that it's a personal responsibility to follow the label. But there are some uh, ramifications sometimes if, if you uh, do an off-label application. Another thing to just be aware of is not all pesticide labels will have a B-box. Uh, and there are some products that you do have to be careful around bees with. So I think rule of thumb. No matter what product you're using, whether it's insecticide, fungicide, herbicide, whatever, just read the directions for use, any of the precautionary statements, and you're good to go as far as understanding any potential impacts on pollinators. And, and Frank, that goes for whether you're a homeowner or a lawn care uh, professional or a golf, golf course superintendent or a sports turf. Everybody needs to read the label and, and uh, follow that label closely. Absolutely. And, and uh, Frank, glad to that. Some of the, uh, certainly uh, now with, with our company, Bear, our latest insecticide uh, that just uh, got the federal label this year, uh, and I think most of the companies going this way, we're looking 
uh, for products labeling new pesticides that are much more bee friendly than we have been in the past. And so, uh, as we're all evolving, we're all learning, we're all understanding this, understanding our world better. Uh, we're really advancing advancing the products. And so, uh, but it still does not it does not minimize uh, the need for uh, reading and understanding following uh, the labels. And you also mentioned a few minutes ago that sometimes getting people to read labels is, I believe the exact quote was, read War and Peace while running a marathon and drinking hot Coke. Do you talk with a lot of folks who don't read labels? I feel like everybody should read the labels, no? <laughs> if, I were the, if I were king of the world, I, maybe I wouldn't make my first priority, but I would definitely make it a priority to, to make pesticides labels easier to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Pesticide labels, you know, but you could make this argument for, for any kind of detailed use document, you know, can be can be uh, wordy and, and uh, written in a way that they're not user-friendly. But, you know, again, the important thing is, is that if you're using pesticides, you know, you have a responsibility to be a good steward. You have a responsibility to be a good professional. And, uh, you know, all the details as far as all those, you know, specific things that you're supposed to do to really mitigate any kind of non-target effects, they're there on the label. And, and again, it's like one of those things like eating your oatmeal first thing in the morning, right? You know, uh, not, not necessarily always fun, but, you know, if we want to maintain the use of these tools for everything that we need to use them for, uh, we have that responsibility to, to really follow the label and, and understand um, how to use the product responsibly. And that's not just for, I mean, that's for all, that's for all pesticides applied uh, to turf, whether it's, you know, we're focusing more on neonics because that tends to be the lightning rod when it comes to pollinators, but really, really all labels. And uh, like Frank says, they're, uh, they're somewhat burdensome, uh, to put it mildly, the labels are somewhat burdensome, but uh, there's, uh, there's some key, uh, there's always key parts of the label that you, that you really need to pay uh, really need to pay attention to and and uh, like said like Frank said it's 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 really every user's responsibility uh, yes it's the law uh, that's our that's our our fallback but it is everybody's responsibility to make sure that these these products stay available to all of us because you make a couple mistakes here and there and then pretty soon the regulators start to wonder about it and and then it's uh, it starts going bad fast and so. Uh, it takes a lot of time and money to bring these pesticides to the market, and so, but it is everybody's responsibility to, to keep them there, at least in my opinion. You know what's worse, Zach, is when Channel 7 shows up and they're not on your side. <laughs> That's generally yeah, usually the case. Yep. That's when it gets ugly. Yeah. Adopting best management practices helps to ensure that pollinators are protected and that communities continue to have an abundant food supply. The Growing Matters Coalition is reminding producers, golf course superintendents, turf managers, and landowners to be sure to responsibly use neonic products and other crop protection technologies this growing season. Protecting bees and other wildlife is a major part of good stewardship practices, and it's why the coalition launched Be Sure, an initiative to support producers and applicators in accomplishing this important goal. To download stewardship research, access important tips, and learn more, visit growingmatters.org. In terms of this growing season, bees and beekeepers and honey 
and all the great things in the outdoors, they are high on the list. Uh, people see the outdoors. They see the bees buzzing around. Let's just focus on bees for just a minute. What can applicators and beekeepers do to work together throughout the growing season? I'm sure there are a lot of ways. And again, we can only go so deep in about a 30-minute podcast. But what are some of your, your key points there for them? The one thing, uh, especially with, with one thing you pointed out, Matt, is with COVID, uh, everybody's in the, so many people are in their lawns more often. Mm-hmm. And so it makes even more sense this year to be extra cautious when you're out there, whether it's about the bees or about the kids or about pets or, or whatever it is, uh, to be extra cautious just because there's a lot more people in the lawns and in the turf areas. And so that's, that, that's probably be the number one thing. Uh, in terms of uh, beekeepers and uh, applicators, regardless if you're a golf course or lawn care, athletic field or whatever, just be aware of your surroundings. And if, if you know there's bees in, uh, uh, close by, certainly uh, talk, to the, uh, talk to the beekeepers, try to figure out what their plans are, uh, keep them informed. Again, as long as you're choosing the right products and applying uh, appropriately, there shouldn't be much risk to the bees, but it's always better to be transparent. Yeah, and as far as some high-tech tools, we've got websites and resources like Driftwatch and BeeCheck that really do a great job as far as tracking where beehives and colonies may be nearby. So just kind of, you know, what is it, uh, you know, knowing is half the battle. I, I can't believe I just made a G.I. Joe reference. But, but essentially, um, you know, just understanding kind of the proximity of where beekeepers are, are, are have hives, uh, you know, tend to just give you an extra sense of precaution as far as when you're making your application. You know, there's, there's also the old-fashioned way, too, as far as reaching out and talking to your neighbors. <laughs> So, you know, I, I think that's part of ensuring 
good pollinator safety is to provide that good forage and habitat for them. What are some of your favorite plantings for the bees? If, if we go to your backyard or your garden, what do you have there for bees? So out in Nebraska, we have buffalo grass. Hmm. So that, that's not very good for bees, but <clears throat> my wife has a great garden outside, flower garden. Uh, anything that's flowering, uh, zinnias, uh, she's big into zinnias. And so uh, we have a ton of zinnias that are just loaded with, uh, loaded with bees all summer, and they, and they, <clears throat> and they almost bloom uh, almost throughout the summer, which is another thing, not only you know, planting pollinator forage, but also sequence their scheduling, picking the right, the right species where they have a consistent source of pollen also helps. And so, <clears throat> again, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I love, I love Kim Zinnias. Frank, do you have and, any pollinators in your world, in, or oh, in your, but, in your, of North Carolina? Um, you know, some of the folks who follow me on social media, you know, have, have uh, uh, criticized me for the state of my lawn, uh, and, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep it real and keep it native as far as, uh, uh, you know, having some forage there in my lawn. So it's it's not white clover; it's it's forage, right? So, but all, all was it clover, clover and dandelion, little thistle mixed in for good measure, Frank. <laughs> Which is fine. That's good. I mean, I don't have a problem if it's, if it's a, you know if it's pollinator if it's if it's pollinator friendly. That's let your conscience be your guide on that. <clears throat> but but in all seriousness, you know, one of the things that, that, that makes it easy is that I think a lot of retailers for seed mixes and wildflower, you know, resources, they're they're dialed in for the need for yeah. more, you know, uh, pollinator habitat out there. So I think if you go to, you know, any mom and pop uh, garden shop, they've got a wide variety of seed mixes and, and pollinator plants available. So it's more, it's, it's less of a choice of, of what to plant versus actually just going out and doing it. You know, you're probably uh, Frank. You're probably right, and then, and you could put it. You could put it in window. You can put it in window bed, window uh, boxes. You can put it in gardens. You can put it in <clears throat> in buckets on your on your patio. Uh, all sorts of places. And I think the take home message is: the closer the food, the more common the food, the healthier the bees, and the more tolerant they will be of of all the stresses they face in their in their everyday life. So a good local gardening store. Even a good local hardware store, maybe. Uh, shout out to my favorite Lakewood Hardware on Madison Avenue. What are some other resources that you both lean on? Could be local sourcing, could be websites, books, uh, journals, anything like that. Uh, where can folks go to learn more? Growingmatters.org has a plethora of resources for pollinators and just general watch out for um, pollinator health, pesticide use patterns and safety, so on and so forth. And, and I, that would be a great place to start, just for getting a, a big picture of what's going on with pollinators and, and things that the industry is doing to, to protect them. Um, but, you know, specifically for resources uh, for, you know, green industry professionals, I would say that, you know, some of the national organizations like the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America has some great resources related to, to pollinator protection, National Association of Landscape Professionals, American Hort uh, for ornamentals, uh, just three great national organizations that, that uh, provide resources there. 
There's actually a really great resource as far as best management practices for uh, for pollinators on, on managed turf grass plantings, and that's available at the, the, the North Central Integrated Pest Management Center. So that uh, that's a, a publicly available document that, that has some really great information about um, using pesticides on lawns and, and how to protect pollinators there. Well, Dr. Frank Wong, Industry Affairs Lead with Bayer, Dr. Zach Riker, Green Solutions Team Specialist, also with Bayer, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for all these tips and tricks for the growing season, and you guys are so fun to talk with. Got to have you back on at some point here in 2021. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. We'd love to be back on.